this lesson this morning is such a powerful lesson. Anytime I stand before God's people, I feel a great deal of pressure simply because I am representing God's word. And whenever I break the bread before you, I want to make sure that I do a great job in that. And I do take it very seriously. Um, before we actually get started this morning, though, I would like for us to pray and ask God to just be here with us this morning as we do get into chapter 15 of Genesis, one of the, I think, most powerful passages of Scripture as we look at that this morning. So let's pray. God, I just thank you for the time we have this morning, Lord, for uh, those who've taken time out of their schedules to be here today, to, Lord, come in and, and go through your word, Lord, to look at the promises made thousands of years ago but are still so relevant today in our lives. Lord, I pray that as we do this, Lord, that not only we look back at it historically, but Lord, take these things and apply them daily, Lord, as we do seek you in all that we do. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. We are going to be looking at Genesis chapter 15 this morning, and um, I love it simply because it's dealing with the covenant with Abram. Uh, yes, it is before Abraham becomes Abraham. And when God's actually going to step into the lives of men and do something so special that's going to rock everything. In fact, I believe, as we look at the scripture this morning, it's going to be the precursor to the New Covenant or the New Testament. And in fact, how many of you know that the gospel is actually outlined right there in the Old Testament clearly? Many don't realize that. The gospel's right there. We're actually going to visit that this morning in our lesson. As we look at verse number 1 of chapter 15, but it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And as we look at that, just to give you a little bit of idea of what was going on, if we looked at the pre-chapter there, there had been some major battles going on. Abram had just gone out and, and had a, a great victory over a much larger army. In fact, I believe there was about five kings involved in this battle. And so he'd gone out and had a battle with them, and he was a little bit fearful of repercussions, potentially. Uh, again, the war wasn't over, just a battle had been won. So he's looking and he's depending on God to do this. And so he was a little bit fearful, and so God's wanting to address several things in Abram's life right now to kind of settle his heart down and say, hey, I'm getting ready to tell you something really special. It says to him, or he says to him, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. And I'd like to ask you, when we start looking at how God speaks to us, how does he do that? When we uh, go through your day, or does God ever speak to us? Through his word. We have to uh, realize that that's how, in most cases, God's going to speak to us. So any other way God may speak to us today? What's it that? Dreams. I'm glad you mentioned that one. I, you know, and the reason I say that is there are some who believe that he does speak in, to us through dreams and even visions today. Some don't. That is a little controversial. I'm not going to actually address that. I will state that a little over a year ago, I had the privilege of hearing a missionary that was in a Muslim country, came in and spoke to a, a church that we used to go to. And it was pretty awesome. They came in dressed in the Muslim garb that they have to wear. It was a closed country. They had to be very careful. They couldn't actually witness, per se. 
But one of the great things that I thought that brought out, and it really opened my eyes a little bit to, again, I, let's, let's first, let me say it this way. I will not put any restriction on what God wants to do, all right? And I'm not smart enough to sit here and figure out and state absolutely yes or no, he does not speak in visions and dreams. But I will state this, there are people, Muslims, and other religions today, and it blows me away, they actually got up to these missionaries and said that there are Muslim people who are having dreams where Christ is literally coming to them. People who don't know about Christ, understand that. And people are getting saved through that, it's, and, and they're seeking out Christ through that. Um, again, I don't know. I can't explain it. People who've never heard of Christ, and yet he's coming to them, and these people get saved. Now, they have to be very careful about it because if they get saved, what happens? Well, you can find those things out. They, in many cases, are ostracized. But he came to in this vision, and he's going to bring some special things. And he did do that. In the Bible, we talk about, you know, prophets and preachers. Uh, today, we have preachers and, and Christian brothers and sisters who may come to us and, and share things with us. And so the Lord uses still some of the same things. The Spirit of the Lord in the, in the Bible came. And the Spirit of the Lord come to us today and helps us understand the Scriptures and things like that. We're going down. He tells him, don't be afraid. And he tells him, addresses it, I'm going to be your shield. And then uh, just jumping down to the blank there, God will more than make up what Abraham has given up for the Lord. And, and what that's addressing, if we again step back to the previous chapter, uh, the king of Sodom had come and offered him a great deal of things, uh, you know, all kinds of money and, and things out there. And Abraham said, no, I'm going to trust God in, in what he's going to do. I'm not going to take anything from you. So he had given up some reward, and he... Again, he had attacked based on what God had wanted to do, and he was expecting potentially some kind of follow-up attack. So God is addressing those fears immediately. Trust in me. I'm going to be that shield, that reward. That next little blank, God knows how to become the answer to our need. I, all I can say there is the maker made me. Who knows me better than my maker? And so he's sitting there and... and able to put those trusts and those fears on God because he knows that God knows what's best for him. And that next little blank uh, says, do not be afraid. God never tells us, do not be afraid without giving us a reason. You know, how many of you ever face fears in your life? I guarantee you every one of us have at some time or another. Um, you know, we have, I don't know what your fear may be. I know Jim mentioned several months ago or weeks ago you know, a couple, uh, most all of us have, if not all of us, have two fears in life. What is that? You remember what he stated? Darkness and death. I agree totally with that. And I've experienced one of those, total darkness. I hadn't experienced death yet, but I've seen death. Uh, and I can tell you, what I've experienced, that's not something that brings pleasure to me at all in those cases. But God's able to tell us through his word, through different things, and encourage us. And give us faith in those times when we're facing fears. And again, in this scripture, he's doing that with Abram and, and letting him know, hey, you can be trusting in what I'm telling you is the truth. We go to verses 2 and 3 there. It says, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. 
This was something that if we go back in chapter 12 and 13 of Genesis, God had already said, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. He had not come out and actually said, I'm going to give you a son. He's getting ready to do that, but he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And, it's, you know, you're going to have thousands or whatever. And so in his mind, he's thinking, I mean, several years have passed, some nine or ten years approximately have passed now, and he's thinking to himself, probably what most of us will think, because he's getting on up in years, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. I guess he meant, I guess God's talking about this guy that's in my household, because at that time, if we go back and look at, that's, at the way things customs were done at that day, if you did not have an heir, a male heir, because at that point in time, males were the ones who inherited and took care of things, then it would pass on to that head of his household, that person that he had put all this trust in, because we go back. And this Eleazar was a, a, a really good guy, but he definitely wasn't a blood heir. So if we look at the blank there, Abram honestly expresses his doubts. Guys, we can be honest with God. I hope we can be honest with ourselves. I think many cases, if I look at my life, sometimes I, I kind of play this game with myself, and sometimes I don't truly want to look at the real me. But Abram right now, he is right before God just bearing his soul, and he has all kinds of doubts here, and he's wanting to get some satisfaction. Um, and it says, and the Lord God, what will you give me? And we may think that's a little bit bold, but again, God has already promised him that he's going to be a great nation. And um, if we look at the blank there, it's almost as if Abram meant, Lord, you've given me lots of stuff. Again, he'd already, God had made him a, a very wealthy man. But he's, again, saying, you give me all this stuff, but the one thing that I really wanted and you've told me, I'm still looking at, God, where's it at? How many of us know just how important it was in those days to have someone to pass that name on to? I'm going to tell you right now, that was life. That bloodline was life to them. It was so important. In fact, we're going to see that he, in later chapters, he's going to try to circumvent because he's still waiting on an heir. And, and chapters later, he's going to try to go around that and actually get a blood heir, which is going to be a total fiasco. I won't go too far into that. But it, we're still seeing repercussions today of what man's attempts did. But he wanted the blood heir. He then says, look, you've given me no offspring. Abram was honest with, before the Lord. That's your next blank there. Again, he was honest in what he was wanting before God. Let's go ahead and look at verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come before, uh, excuse me, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look, now toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to number them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. He just flat lays it out there. This is what you can expect is going to happen. And in your blank there, you can put in, God reminds Abram of the original promise. And again, it goes back and references the Genesis 12 and 13 verses. Again, this is an overall, but he's, trying to get, he's getting right to that point to do the specific that's about to, uh, he's about to share. One who will come from your own body shall be your heir. God often promises with such certainty that we believe it's going to be fulfilled right now. And again, we all 
we're so anxious. Things are getting faster and faster every day. I know when I boot my computer up, if, it ain't, if it's not booted up and ready to go in a matter of seconds, I'm ready to call IT and go, what's going on here? You know, why is it taking so long? And, and I can remember back in the day when, yeah, I'm, I'll be 49 this year, when I used to type on a typewriter, I took typing in, in school. Uh, so, you know, so even more today, we expect God to answer things immediately. But it doesn't always, and, it, and it's never, it's not changed. God is never changing. And even back then, he was looking at something maybe Im more immediate. When um, we look down to the next one, from your own body, it wasn't a spiritual event that we were looking at. Again, he had already pointed to his house servant, Eliezer, being that. But God was getting ready to blow him away and, and let him know this is going to be a physical occurrence. Let's jump down and at number four there. Abram's response of faith to God's promise. If we look at that, and a response is the blank there. And he believed in the Lord. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And that can be kind of tough for us to understand exactly what that's meaning there. But in essence, he's telling him, and he believed in the Lord when Abram put his trust in God, specifically in God's promises. There's two types of righteousness, guys. There's the righteousness of man's works. And what's the Bible tell us about man's works, righteous works? It says filthy rags. It's exactly how God sees us. I don't care. You think of the most holiest person you can think of. And that person's righteousness is as filthy rags. And then we have the righteousness of God, which is perfect. And we're getting ready in these scripture verses to look and see that God, his righteousness is going to take care of our filthy rags, in essence, is what's going to happen here. And I believe at this point in the scripture verses, and... and uh, Many different commentaries have looked at. Some pointed definitely this direction. Some uh, alluded to different things. But I believe at this point is where God is actually addressing and what I talked about, the gospel message being talked about. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. This is the clearest expression in the Bible of the truth of salvation by grace. And that's the blank. Salvation by grace through faith. It's the first time that we see belief and righteousness are used in the Bible. It's the gospel in the Old Testament. Salvation by grace through faith. And we see that reference several times in the New Testament. We go back in, uh, in Paul's writings. Many times he talks about, goes back to this time of what happened. If we go to that next little point there, we go down to C. He accounted it to him for righteousness. And again, Romans 4, 9 through 10, righteousness was accounted to Abram before he was circumcised. Why is that a key? Why? Do what now? Circumcision is not a requirement for salvation. So the Jewish people, the, the called out ones that Christ came in the new covenant to address, that was taken care of and pointed back to the Old Testament. That is so cool. But it's so sad. The Jewish people, the priestly nation that God had called out, had 
totally missed it and thought it was, you have to. You remember the battles in the New Testament that happened? I mean, fallouts between Peter and Paul when this actually came up. That, you know, when you got saved, oh, yeah, you've got to come over and you've got to do these things now. Remember, we are still, this is a Jewish thing. But it wasn't, and it wasn't from the beginning. That is so key. It should encourage every one of us in what's going on. If you have any doubts on what God's intentions were, it was to take care of it, and it happened before circumcision, before that physical event even occurred. Verses 9 through 11. So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all of these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Abram knew exactly what was getting ready to happen. Now, do we have covenants today? Do we have? We do? What kind of covenants do we have today? Okay, absolutely. Marriage, absolutely. If you, if you doubt it, if you're married, look at the little rings here. That is absolutely a covenant. One of the cool things I thought about is what we're getting to find out in just a moment is how this covenant was sealed. He takes, and, and it'll allude to it in just a minute, but uh, when you're married, those two come together, and they walk together down, and they take vows. And that's what we're getting ready to see is what was supposed to happen at this point. Is they're getting ready to, to cut covenant, and it was going to take several things to do that. So... Abram prepares to make a covenant with God. It was a common practice for them to do it. When it's this serious of a covenant, for them to seal it with blood. If you jump down that next blank, the symbolism. First, this is a covenant so serious, it is sealed with blood. Second, if I break this covenant, let the same bloodshed be poured on my animals and me, was the understanding at that time. In other words, your enemies are my enemy. If I die on your behalf, that's what I'm stating I'm willing to do, is die on your behalf. Again, I believe that is a future reference that even if you can't hold up your side of the bargain, and we know that men are not going to hold up our side of the bargain, there's one who can and does and did, and that was Christ. I, I, I just can't get past that reference in, those, in these scripture verses. If we jump down to verses... Um, 12 through 16. And again, I, you've got the paperwork and you can go through and reference those things and read through it. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall be to your fathers in peace, or you should go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Uh, we look at this. It says that at the end of day, God shall... Uh, God has still not appeared. So he's, he's said this is what's going to happen. Abram's expecting two of them to go through this, to make this covenant, and he still hasn't come to him. 
so he's looking around, and he's, he still hadn't appeared there. No, certainly, Abram wanted concrete proof from God. This was, again, something very serious. And God, through these verses, is telling him about a future event that's about to happen. And we all know what that is. That was going to be the, the, his descendants were going to fall into slavery in the land of Egypt and be there about uh, 400 years is what he's talking about in those verses. At the end of the day, God still has not appeared to walk through the animal parts with Abram. And then let's look at verses 17 through 21. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Ketamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Electric Lights, the, um, all these guys. They, uh, <laughs> I stole that joke. That used to be Mila's dad's joke. Um, but he's, he's, he's definitely putting some specifics down. I, I love it. God is not, he's, he's gone from, Chapters 12 and 13 being very, hey, this is what's going to happen. He's getting very specific with Abram, saying, okay, I'm putting it out there. You're going to be able to, and if not you specifically, your descendants are going to be able to look back at my word and tell whether or not it's true in this situation. So Abram sees God pass through the animal parts all by himself while Abram watches. Uh, it was asked, was there a reason that Abram was not awake or was put into sleep or groggy state, vision state. Uh, yeah, what do you think Abram was ready to do? We've already talked about it. Man's going to do their part. Man's going to step up and he's going to walk with God through this and make this covenant. And God, in his wisdom, knew that. He caused this sleep to come on him. And so he could witness exactly what God was going to do. He wasn't going to even involved man in making the covenant. He was stepping up and symbolizing that I am taking all the responsibility because I know your weakness. I know that you're not because we just see a few chapters later, I mean, we all know the lives of Israel, the called out nation. They couldn't make it probably days without failing in this covenant. Abram was weak. We see that. He's going to go after another wife to try to fulfill these things later in later chapters. We see that God knew that weakness. And that's why God caused it to happen. We go to the next blank. The smoking oven and the burning torch passing through showed that this was a unilateral covenant. It was a one-sided covenant. God took all that responsibility and then the next blank there, by entering into this contract, there is a sense in which God was saying, if I don't keep my word, let me put, be put asunder. But God was putting his deity on the line. There's no doubt about it, guys. We can look now. God knew the word was going to be out there for us to see. <laughs> He's, but has he not just laid it down? And if we look at this and we don't find the truth, what do you think is going to happen? We'll say, it's, this is not God. He didn't fulfill his, this, but we do see he did. If we look at all 
God's Word in its completeness, what He has done. What a powerful picture this is of the new covenant to come right here in the Old Testament. 